This is Ken Lubin, and welcome to the Ultimate Hire podcast. What is the Ultimate Hire? The Ultimate Hire is the professional that every business, team, or leader needs in their organization. This is the high-performance individual that always rises to the top, brings the team to the next level, and can significantly add to the bottom line. The Ultimate Hire is the person that you can't afford to be without. Finding, attracting, hiring, and retaining these professionals is critical to the success of your business. We have identified these traits and can help you find these top professionals. A little bit about me. I'm a managing director and longest tenured employee with ZRG Partners. I'm the creator of the Ultimate Hire blog, founder of Executive Athletes, a U.S. Olympic Committee career advisor, and endurance athlete as well as following my true passion of being a husband, father, and son. I love to get people out of their comfort zone while helping them achieve their dreams and companies achieve their goals by helping them realize the importance of living a high-performance life. This podcast will feature hiring strategies, interview tips, conversations with key business leaders, as well as other search professionals. This is designed to give individuals and organizations tools and tactics to have a competitive advantage for career growth, business growth, and insights to the most important resource, the people. If anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me at klubin at ZRG Partners, and I hope you enjoy the show. This episode's guest is Kevin Jones. As Managing Director at ZRG Partners, Kevin is responsible for search engagement, strategy, and delivery. He offers a unique blend of human capital experience forged over 25 years in the executive search industry. He has successfully completed professional search assignments in nearly every major U.S. market within each significant real estate asset class, as well as working with the world's largest programs and facilities management firms. Kevin is a nationally recognized subject matter expert in healthcare and institutional real estate, development, investment, construction and design management, asset management, and sustainability. So Kevin, welcome to the show. Hi, Ken. Good talking to you. So Kevin, tell us a little bit about who Kevin Jones is. We've been working for the last couple of years on a few different things together, but tell the market who Kevin is from his own words, in his own words. Sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So uh, I've been in search for over 25 years. I actually started right out of school, which is a little unique. So I really grew up in the business. I, I understand it from its grassroots nuts and bolts level all the way up to client relationships. Um, and I focused on real estate and construction my whole career. So I do know that space intimately. Uh, I know the history of firms. I know the history of markets and how they develop. So it, it, it brings a unique perspective to what I do and what I can offer my clients. And 25 years in too, you've seen it all. And a lot like I have, I've been in it for 20 years. It's, you're probably a little bit before me with, I started right at the dot-com blowout and then went through a 08, 09 and whatever we call today is a combination of those combined with a pandemic involved. Yeah. But, you you're know, right. What have you seen in the markets? It's how is this similar? How is this different? Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. I, I think the real difference, you know, it, it's so easy uh, and quick to try to compare it to 08 and uh, hopefully nothing compares to the 08 recession, right? Uh, the, the difference is, you know, it's just looking some things up, but uh, the CMBS uh, defaults 
peaked in 2011. So that was two to three years into the downturn that that really started to hit. And it was had such a meandering impact. This seems to be, especially if you're looking at the distressed funds, the distressed real estate investors, it's going to be a smaller window for them to invest and find the right types of opportunities. It, it also, it, you know, if you compare it to 08, uh, there was opportunity essentially to shift through the ashes, right? Of just kind of pick through some really dead wood and figure out what was what. Where in this case, it's gonna be a small window of opportunity. It's gonna be an opportunity to be decisive and create funds that can really, I hate to say pounce, but react to the market more quickly than just waiting to see what's, you know, what's in the ashes that you wanna pick out. Another component too, and I think that makes it interesting, uh, there was a better preparation for this and that um, real estate took a great hit, right? Like most industries in the last recession. Um, you know, I look at my clients, they're better prepared. You know, they're not as leveraged on their assets. Uh, there's more equity that they can work with and that's, that changes everything, right? You're not forced to sell. You've got some flexibility and space to play things out and see what happens. And a quicker recovery, and you know, that could be all the difference in terms of keeping their portfolios together um, and having to you know, fire sell them. So it, it really is very different than the last recession. As I say that, we're in the middle of it. And that's the, that's the thinking behind it. And uh, it seems sound. And I think the last recession, too, they said there was recovery right after 08, 09 and started recovering and mid 09, mid 10. And to me, it felt like that was still the doldrums of everything. And I think the doldrums, we never came out of it till 12, 13, 14. And I think a lot of it is sort of like our grandparents' mindset is sort of like the Great Depression, right? You don't <laughs> want to go back to that. You're always going to remember that. But with this, there, there was sort of a, we knew that was, we didn't know it was coming, but you sort of knew it was coming. Where this, it just happened overnight where I'm sure the real estate market was crazy. It's been at the height of the market, record low occupancies. And I know in Boston, it's probably one of the biggest markets going. How do you yeah. think it's going to affect that market going from the ultra high to all of a sudden just stopping? Yeah, yeah. There, there's several components. World. And, and, yeah, and look, you know, the thing about real estate, every sector has its own life cycle, right? Whether it's retail, office, industrial, I, I have a uh, you know, very close understanding and intimate understanding of healthcare real estate. I've focused on that for 10 years as a subsector. Um, so every product type is really going to be affected differently through this. Um, and you know, the, what I've seen and what's promising is the projects that have been in play, and this is for most, let's take retail out of it, right? Retail has been struggling for years. So, you know, for retail retailers stuck in leases, you know, they can claim force majeure, which is, you know, an act of God or an unforeseeable event. And they've got a leg to stand on, but they've been struggling in their brick and mortar business for years. So let, let's put that aside. The, the other sectors are the projects are continuing right now. If they were, unless there was a construction stop, right? But that's, that was the stop. They still are moving forward. The investors are still behind, and they haven't really started to reprice those deals just yet. 
So that's the good news. So, you know, if the shutdown lifts and the market comes back more quickly, uh, those deals should be able to go forward uh, with their original underwriting or something close to their original underwriting. There hasn't been a major pricing adjustment quite yet. So that's the good news. Uh, it's the deals that were in limbo, right, that hadn't quite kicked off. Those are all going to be looked at and scrutinized under the new economy versus the old economy. So some will go forward, some won't. Um, and it will be really dependent on the ability of the developers to push deals through or the sellers. Uh, so that's going to be the interesting component. I, I think if you look at cap rates, they'll be uh, impacted. Uh, lending it is uh, at an all-time low, so that's going to help the real estate market. But more than anything, there's a lot of dry powder. There's a lot of capital, domestic and uh, private and foreign, that's really interested and still interested in the U.S. real estate market. So there's, um, there's great activity, you know, and, and, and as you know, Ken, you know, my search practice has organically evolved into a capital introductory service to some extent. And that, um, you know, my clients that are looking for capital or recapitalization, you know, and our clients on the other side, whether it's family office or private equity, you know, there's a strong interest in what's happening in real estate. So we've been actively effective at introducing uh, the the users of capital and the and the givers of capital, and uh, you know we're not underwriting deals, but we're you know we have a ability to underwrite the personalities and underwrite cultures and you know that knack to create the right fit, um, and that's been very effective um, in the last thirty days. Uh, that's that's been a silver lining, I think, uh, at least in our business. How do you feel the attitudes are right around the real estate market in today's world? Number one and question number two, we'll chat about later, but what about how work the work from home world is going to affect the commercial real estate yeah. business? That's a great question. Um, so uh, a couple different things. I mean, you know, the real estate industry are optimists to start with. So, uh, you know, that always, that doesn't always work in their favor, but uh, you know, it's an optimistic uh, sector. The work from home component to me is really, it, it, we haven't figured it out yet. There's going to be a couple things that come from this. Clearly, you know, the ability to work at home is going to be greater, right? Uh, and that's a positive for everybody, including the commercial office developers and owners. Um, but what we won't have there is culture, right? And, and we talk about culture both within ZRG and our clients on a daily basis, trying to understand what the culture is. And every, every leader you talk to is, talks about their culture. So from that standpoint, you can't really maintain or sustain your culture if everybody's working remotely. And it's gonna take more than a virtual happy hour, right? To pull everybody together. So that's one element that they've gotta to look to. And also the efficiencies of office in terms of how do we all work, right? Uh, can we work on staggered times? But people still are going to want to be in the office. And, um, you know, I've heard so many different stories in terms of, I have one client that never allowed remote uh, working and they frowned upon it and philosophically they were against it. And, you know, from the first week, all the employees that always wanted it you know, they were largely unhappy with the setup. And one, it's a preparedness, 
but it's not everything we want it to be. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what comes out from a productivity standpoint too. Everybody, there's an enjoyability of working from home. We like to think that we're just as productive, but, you know, statistically, it'll be interesting to see how productive we've been, especially in dealing with a market that's essentially slowed itself. So mm. imagine if we're in a faster paced economy, an expanding economy, can we still have the same efficiencies of everybody's trying to work from home? So I think there's going to be a give and take there. No, I was talking to someone about the work from home thing and everyone's saying this one individual CEO of a company was talking about how everyone is so productive at home because they can't do anything else. What's yeah. going to happen when all of a sudden the stores are open, the golf course is open, the driving range is open, the bike shops are open, right? What's going to happen yeah. at that point when all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can actually go somewhere. I can go. I'll, I'll just run out for a couple hours and it'll be interesting to see what the productivity numbers are after yeah. that. Yeah, you're right. It's from a street level. It's common. It looks like common sense. Like, well, you know, the office buildings will close because no one's going to go into the office anymore. Uh, but I think it's, it's certainly more complex than that. And uh, there's still that, you know, some people will just get over it, right? They'll scratch that itch uh, and realize that, you know, they need that professional setting as well. So it, it, I'm like everybody else. I'm, I'm very interested to see how it evolves. I think, um, you know, I think it'll ultimately be a better outcome uh, because we've, we've had this great exposure now to be working from home. So, you know, I think that's going to be really interesting to see what plays out. No, it is. What about opportunities, right? What opportunities are you seeing in the space? Because we all know with every sort of downturn, there's always an, an upside. Where, what are people seeing in the real estate market for opportunities? Where do you see this going? Is it a quick window? Is it a long window? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I, I think it's going to be a shorter window. Uh, you know, and I think that's a good thing. The, um, the real opportunity, uh, you know, I was, I've been uh, talking with uh, several lenders, right? And uh, there's going to be opportunity one in bridge financing of just, you know, a project that's going to take maybe four months longer than it needed to. So there's going to be some bridge opportunities and MES opportunities to plug that gap because everybody still wants their projects to go. And they're tough to, you know, they're tougher to default on than you'd imagine. So that's going to be an opportunity. But a lot of the funds, you know, it's really interesting because a lot of the funds out there, whether they're investment funds or lending funds, they're post 2008. Let's I'd say even they're post 2012. So they have a different criteria of looking at the world. And uh, now you there's I mean, it's really obvious there's funds that are developing hundreds of millions of dollars uh, raised in a week or two. <laughs> uh, for these, you know, I don't know if it's quite distressed, but it's opportunistic real estate uh, deals. So you're going to have a post-COVID fund competing with maybe a pre-COVID fund. And, you know, you can't, you can't just change your fund midstream. You can't go back and change your thesis if it, the fund's already in place. So there's going to be a really interesting uh, element of the pre-COVID funds and you'll see a lot of money raised quickly in post-COVID, both from an investment and a lending standpoint that can really take advantage of a new market because they're going to go into the market with a different mindset, a different investment criteria, different yield criteria. So 
that's where I think you'll see an interesting opportunity is who can react more quickly and then who's decisive when they're out in the market? How confident are they in the market and their, their underwriting and their decision-making to jump on deals? Because it will be competitive. There's still capital that's really interested in, in deals. You know, in the 08 recession, capital was froze and, and locked up. So that's a key difference. Uh, and that's why I think it'll be a shorter and competitive window to be diving into this new market. And also too, and we'll switch gears here and talk about a little bit about like the healthcare and life science market. Um, I'm up here in Boston, right? And healthcare and life science are huge sectors. They've all moved out of Cambridge to the seaport. You go to the seaport, it's Genzyme, it's Sanofi, it's every name with just giant 50 story built and probably not 50, you know, 30 story buildings going up. And it's just, it's crazy, crazy to see. Where are yeah. you seeing sort of the healthcare and life science? As you know, right now, that's probably <laughs> driving most of our economy. Where yeah. is that? Where is that going in the real estate market? I'm sure it's just going to continue to grow. Have we topped out? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so it, it's a really interesting space, and and that is actually a space where you know I'm probably most knowledgeable in. And uh, there's several factors going on. So pre-corona every health system was looking at their ambulatory network, right? And their ambulatory strategy, which is real estate intensive. So they will continue to evaluate and reevaluate their ambulatory, which is essentially their MOB surgery center, you know, a lot of their outpatient facilities. And the, the real trigger for most real estate is going to be the shift of opening elective surgeries. I mean, that's a, that's a, incredible revenue generator. So that's going to be a trigger, right, of what you see is next. I think that's as much of a driver for the healthcare world as anything else that you're seeing. So once the surgery centers are open and people are comfortable coming back, I think you'll see a real shift and drive in healthcare real estate. Uh, the other component too, I mean, hospitals are, there, there's two camps, right? The, the, the COVID uh, impacted hospitals and the non-COVID impacted. And they're both struggling for different reasons, but they're both struggling. Uh, the non-COVID hospitals, you know, have had a decrease of, in revenue because their procedures have been cut. And the COVID um, hospitals have just been crushed by their, they've been uh, overburdened with COVID patients. So you've got two different schools of thought, but problems in each, each type of system. Uh, a lot of hospitals over the last several years have been looking to monetize their real estate assets. And that's been a great uh, capital source and a capital source that they can reinvest, whether in its operations or in the clinical side or research. So um, you're going to see more hospitals at least looking at that, where they're monetizing their assets, working with you know, very reputable and recognized healthcare real estate investor developer. So I think you'll see more of that, and, and that's going to allow for more capital to help the, the healthcare systems, but they'll certainly need more stimulus. I think even more than this latest stimulus bill, health, health hospitals have been struggling the last several years from a capital uh, crunch. So uh, they're going to be um, looking for more stimulus, and that's going to drive what their real estate does. And, you know, I do a lot of work with firms that do a lot of the upstream uh, strategy, not just in healthcare in general, but the healthcare real estate solution. 
and you're going to see, you know, the old, uh, in your case, Mass General, right? Just these these old, uh, I hate to say antiquated, but antiquated facility, right? It's mm -hmm. still a great hospital, and they do great work, and you know, and it's important facility. But hospitals now are looking at um, their facilities as recruitment tools. You know, if you're looking for the best surgeons and the best minds in medicine out there, you need to be able to recruit them. And it's all about the facility. You're, you know, especially this next generation of doctors, they're going to want facilities that are very modern, very open, very spacious. Um, and that's going to be new facilities. So you're going to have a continued um, pressure on hospitals to upgrade and improve their facilities, both inpatient and outpatient. Um, and another component, too, is you're seeing physician groups. I mean, when you think of physician groups, whether it's ophthalmology, orthopedics, uh, there's, a, there's a strong real estate component to all of those practices. And as they start to roll up more, you're going to see the real estate play in those deals, whether it's uh, woven into their new roll-up or, you know, you create a new real estate company that just handles the real estate. You know, and the original partners of that can get a great cash influx from selling the real estate but still being able to lease it. So there's, there's several, uh, and that's more of a subsector. You see several different uh, healthcare real estate strategies that are impacted of what's going on. And, and there's a larger question of specialty hospitals. Uh, I think every hospital is going to have to account for uh, and probably overcorrect in terms of um, uh, quarantine facilities, right? Some component of their facility will need to be quarantined, which, you know, if you look, the CFOs will struggle with that because that's going to be, I hate to use the term, but dead space until it's not. Mm. So, uh, you know, hospitals are starting to look at their real estate as profit centers versus cost centers, and they need to reevaluate. Re They've got so much valuable real estate, so are they able to make that a profit center, or is it just going to be a drag on costs? And that's where the strategists come in. And that's where, you know, a lot of my clients are in that strategy where they can look at their whole real estate portfolio. And then the last thing I'll say on that, and, and we had started, Mark and I were working on a uh, thought piece where more health systems are bringing in a chief real estate officer, which is somewhat of a new position. You know, they traditionally had a head of facilities, which is just the existing, you know, facilities head will know every inch of an existing facility. They're bringing in this chief real estate officer, which is in the C-suite, reporting to the CEO, reporting to the COO, because they bring this level of strategy. A lot of them are coming from the third-party real estate firms as well versus other hospitals. And what they're bringing is this concept of not only are they, they bringing an understanding of healthcare real estate, but you know, when you use a third-party firm, they're, they're coming in and trying to parrot your mission. And when you bring somebody in-house, they're walking your mission every day. And in healthcare, it's all about the mission. It's all about patient experience. It's all about patient care. And, uh, you know, those, that's a big shift. And I see more health systems doing that, of bringing this chief real estate officer in and making them part of that C-suite team. Interesting. No, I know I'm out in Worcester, out by UMass, and that whole world has now become sort of, 
UMass Med had had all the land all around it. Now it's turning into sort of a research park, right? And yeah. that's really what's starting to happen. And because we have some land out where we are, which is quickly going away too. It's sort of it all went to Westboro and now it's moving out, you know, even further and further because because of that need and because of sort of uh, you know how life science and how healthcare is and in Boston and the Massachusetts market. And I love what you brought up about sort of mass general and some of those Boston hospitals, they do need to be upgraded because of they have the legacy. Okay. It's a Harvard teaching school or it's mass general, one of the first hospitals in the country and everything there. But like you said, you walk in there and it, it is our almost archaic. It's yeah. not spacious. It's uh, not the feel that you would think you would feel walking into those, into those types of hospitals. Yeah, and, and it's about the patients, and it's about the recruitment, too. If you want to get the best clinical support in your hospital, you, you need the facility to recruit. And, and, and that's just, uh, it, it, you know, it's easy to point generationally and say that's the case, but it, it, it's just going to be the case across the board. And, you know, a, a new thing you're seeing, and this was pre-COVID, I, you know, very interested to see how it unfolds. But, uh, you know, my clients do a lot of mixed-use development, and you've seen these, they're, they're innovation centers. So they'll be combining academic uh, medical centers, uh, academia, research, senior housing, as well as all the traditional retail movie theaters. And you're going to have these livable communities that will include multi-generational. You'll have a seniors and a market rate component. And a lot of these, these are major multi-billion dollar developments. Uh, they're also getting um, uh, tax rebates for bringing in affordable and workforce housing. So you've got these new innovation centers that are developing. They're cool urban areas. They're modern and tech savvy, but they also have innovative research and healthcare as a component and a driver. So you've got that audience and that resident uh, within the community. It's really cool, and uh, it was really driving pre-corona. I think it'll come back because it's a strong uh, public-private uh, investment, and I think those elements will still be in play. So I'm really excited and interested to see how those projects continue and, and follow through because they're massive projects and game changers in the space. No, that's exactly what they've done with UMass, right? It's all of a sudden, it was the UMass Medical School that started with and doesn't even resemble it. There's residents, there's restaurants, there's, like you said, it's, you could be visiting one person and then you could walk all over the place and take care of everything or go see your grandparents that are there or, or everything. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, pr it's pretty interesting. It's pretty exciting. My wife's in that world and the clinical research side and it, she's saying the same thing with their facilities that they're going to and, and everything else that's going on. It, 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 they're, they're game changers, right? And it's really, and it's exciting to be part of it. Uh, you know, the, the real thing is, um, you know, the lab space is different, but hospitals are looking at their real estate as income producing mm. uh, assets versus cost assets. And I think that's that shift in thinking is really going to develop and allow them to create more revenue actually using their real estate or save more revenue using their real estate. What about, we'll shift gears here from the life science and healthcare stuff to about, you know, the impacts of companies not paying rents. What, what are you seeing there? Is that mostly retail? Is that across the board? What are your thoughts? What are you seeing there? 
Yeah, so it, th that's, uh, that's going to become a big deal, right? Uh, April was a telling month, and uh, May is, you know, it's the first is Friday. Rent's going to be due in the first week or so. Uh, that's a lot of pressure on the landlords. And it seems, you know, there seems to be this uh, rallying, hey, don't pay your rent, you know, both residential and commercial. But, uh, you know, that's somebody's investment that's behind that. You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of debt behind that. There's an investment behind that. Um, it, you know, some of my more sophisticated uh, clients, they got out in front of this. They created a 90-day rent deferral program. So it, it alleviates some immediate pressure, but they're still going to feather those payments in over the next several years. Uh, and that lowers their default rating. So I think that's a very smart move. You can't just expect the landlords to not collect rent and to eat, you know, rent from April to September to help the, the greater economy. Um, because, you know, real estate impacts every aspect. You know, we talk to people, you know, you don't realize the, the, the weight of commercial real estate and the impact on the banks, on the investors, on private equity, on the public markets. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, and this is going to be tricky because this administration clearly has an affinity for real estate um, and an interest in real estate. So, you know, the, the optics are, will be uh, delicate, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see in some future stimulus package to focus on the. So, yeah, so I, I think the final point would be. Um, you know, these landlords are going to have to uh, reconcile what they're losing in rents. And, you know, so many um, uh, tenants are going to use the, the force majeure uh, clause in their uh, leases, uh, but it doesn't help the landlords in terms of recouping those investments. So that, that's going to be a problematic issue and um, one that will, will need to be addressed. So it's going to be interesting to see, right? What, what happens there with the whole residential component with everything. And like you said, sort of people are rallying around, don't pay your rent, don't pay your rent, but they can kick you out as well. Right. Once, once this is over, you can be evicted too. Yeah. It's, it's not a no eviction for the rest of your life. It's no eviction for the 30, 60, 90 days that we're having on. Yeah, a pleasant solution is to defer it somehow. And, you know, uh, defaults are a big deal, right? It's tracked in every uh, economic study. So it, you can get around that a little bit by deferring these rents and then, you know, building up rents along the way to make it easier to pay back. But that's going to be within particular windows. And it can't just be freebies of just saying, yeah, you know, we're, we're square. So, so something needs to be reconciled there. What are your thoughts about people, the search side of things, right? The recruiting, the hiring, what are you seeing in the real estate market? Is it still going on? Is it on hold? Is it, what's sort of the status of the market there? I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen when people are either going to start hiring or, or continue hiring or, or potentially or not, right? <laughs> I'm not a real yeah. estate expert, so I can't say, I can tell you from the lending side, everything is sort of screeched to a halt, but. Talk to us a bit about sort of the human capital side of this. Yeah, so there's been there's been a there's been a positive uh, trend in that I would say the searches that we were working on uh, have continued forward. So we haven't had anything just screech to a halt. Um, but those are unique, and those are largely healthcare real estate searches too. So that's maybe not reflective of the entire market. 
you know, I think the best answer of that will come in May and June, frankly. Um, all the uh, positions that we were looking at kicking off and starting, those things were put on hold. Uh, they weren't scrapped just yet, so I, I think May and June will be very telling on that. I think most firms right now are dealing with the issues at hand, especially at real estate, which is their existing portfolio, right, and, and doing everything not to get underwater. Uh, that will take different types of talent. You know, there's a different type of mindset that goes into this new market of dealing with distressed assets and opportunistic assets versus thriving assets. Um, I think a lot of firms want to avoid workouts and um, foreclosures that, you know, and it's going to be really dependent on how quickly this world can, you know, it's, it's interesting. And this is maybe beyond the point, but uh, this is a transformative event, right? So, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a situation where we can internalize that and, you know, look at transforming our businesses and letting our relationships evolve and letting our thinking and behavior improve through this process. So it's, you know, it's a key inflection point. I think it's a key reflection point in terms of understanding our involvement in this and what this does look like next. Uh, you know, most people, you know, and you and I included, we're not just sitting around waiting for things to get back to how they were because we like them then. This is transformative. Uh, so we need to transform as people, individuals, families, societies, businesses to be better prepared for this next wave. And, you know, there's the crystal balls aren't working. It's really tough to determine what is next or how this unfolds. You know, I mean, I'm a silver lining type of person. So, you know, I'm curious and interested to see how it unfolds. Um, but, you know, my guesses are as lame as anybody's at this point. <laughs> right. Weather, right? Uh, it's, it's like being a weatherman, right? You sort of yeah. know what's going on, but you, you really don't. It's uh, th this may or may not happen. Yeah. And uh, I heard this one weatherman say the same thing. It's, and it's the same feeling in the markets. He's like, you're not going to know how much snow you have until you wake up next morning. Right. We'll, we'll yeah. tell you what we think you might get, but you're never going to really know. And yeah, I'm going to date myself, but uh, there was this, everything. there was this old SNL skit with father Guido Sarducci who did the weather. And then, you know, his, his ending line was depends on the weather, right? Right. <laughs> we could talk about the, what, what the weather's going to do all day, but the weather will be what it is. And uh, that's exactly what we're facing. You know, we can theorize and make some really strong assumptions and look in different directions and start to move in different directions. Um, but this is a, you know, there's, a, there's a new frontier out there, which is, uh, depending on how you look at it, you know, it's both scary and it's both exciting. So, um, all we can do is adjust our thinking, adjust our behaviors and move in that direction. Um, and, you know, and I think that's the best we can do some days. Yeah. This is going to change things, but I think it's going to change things for the better. It's, it's, I agree. it's, sort of, it's the crazy thing in my sort of sick mind, it's sort of fun, right? It's sort of fun to figure out what's going to happen, what's going to happen next. And like I said, and, and I probably say this on every podcast, but a month ago, 45 days ago, you would never think that 95% of the people would be working from home, all the kids would be homeschooled, and that we'd have this pandemic going around and yeah. america you know most people and the resiliency of humans has been amazing all of a sudden yeah. fifth graders are doing zoom calls 
uh, high school kids are being educated remotely and work is getting done on a remote basis. And yeah, there's been disruptions to the market. There's been a lot of uh, layoffs and everything else, but it's not as bad or even close to as bad as it could have been if we didn't have technology and the resiliency of humans. So sort of, you know, kudos to the homo sapiens that are out there, all of us. I completely agree with that sentiment, Ken. You know, I'm, uh, you know, and, and not to dismiss, you know, the, the, the really tough parts of this, right? So, um, you know, and that's, that, that's not minimized to be eager and interested and excited of what's coming next. You know, I, I feel a little bit like I'm, you know, at, at a traffic light, you know, ready to hit the gas, you know, just right. waiting for the light to turn. Um, and, you know, that might be a, you know, appropriate or inappropriate analogy, but that's just, you know, that's where I'm sitting uh, in this whole thing. So, um, you know, I'll take it, you know. No, exactly. It's, it's a couple of weeks ago, I'd say we we're at mile one. I think we're at mile three or four of a marathon that we still don't really know the direction <laughs> that it's going in, but it's, you just got to keep running to get to the finish line one way or the other. You would know that better than I. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so we're coming up here on over a half an hour. It's, it's gone pretty quick. Tell us where people can find more about you, how they can reach out to you, um, you know, and connect. Sure. So, you know, I'm easily reachable, right, on our website, on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, I've found it to be very engaging of just finding out what people were doing and, and who's, uh, who's looking at the transformation to come. You know, whether it's – and I'll tell you, too, I, I think the most interesting component of this, too, is, you know, and as a firm – we've gotten into these capital introductions, right? And it's, it's really interesting because when I was a sole practitioner in search, my network knew each other. So there was no value I could bring of introducing, you know, a developer to a capital source. But the dynamic within ZRG is we've got these you know, really strong partners and, and they all have different capital relationships and family office and private equity that have an interest in real estate. And these are firms that I'm not aware with of either. So it's a really interesting dynamic of pulling these unrelated groups together that are like-minded in terms of investment. Um, so that might have not answered your question, but I think that was worth adding into the mix. No, definitely. And what I'll do too is I'll put all your contact information and everything on here as well. So sure. I'm easy to find. Reach out to you. Yeah, it's and the, and Kevin, this was awesome, and thank you for being part thank of you, it. Kevin. And I think the the information is super valuable to people, even in the industry or out of the industry, because real estate is such a major component of pretty much everything that we do in today's world. It, it, when you start to notice, you can't not notice it. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, it's either residential or it's commercial. There's really no in-between with, with everything that's going on. Yeah, well, you know, and, and another component we didn't get into is institutional in terms of higher ed. Uh, you know, this fall is going to be very interesting with the return to school and the impact on universities. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's to be seen. I think you'll see a lot of public-private um, opportunity within higher education too. Yeah. And that's a whole another episode that we could go down. Yeah, that's, down let's talk about that in August. Yeah, yeah exactly. But <laughs> anyways, and thanks for everyone who's listening. If anyone has any questions, comments, feedback, you can reach out to me directly at Lubin at ZRG partners. Make sure you subscribe to the ultimate hire podcast. 
Um, we're going to just keep on pumping out more and more great content during this time, but in the future as well. So again, thanks, Kevin, for being part of this. And thanks. And for listening. Thanks. Yeah. Good talking to you.